The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The podcast today on a football Friday presented by my good friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC, and they're going to match your deposit dollar for dollar. All right, so put in $500. You're going to have 1000 in your account to bet with, and this is one of the biggest weekends of the year, the most anticipated NFL regular season matchup in years featuring Tom Brady's return to Foxborough and New England for the Sunday night game between the Bucks and the Patriots. They've got plenty of prop bets on that game, uh, as they do on every game uh, this weekend. Don't wait around. Join my bookie right now. Bet on the biggest game of the season. Use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll double your first deposit. Again, that's KevinDC to get your first deposit doubled with my bookie at mybookie.ag. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Maryland's got a huge game tonight at home against fifth-ranked Iowa. Biggest home game that Terps have had in over a decade. Jeff Ehrman from Inside Maryland Sports uh, will be uh, a guest on the show a little bit later on. Cooley is with me to start the show as he is on his way to Star Valley for the big Friday night football game. Um, his pal Panthers are now 4-1. and one. They lost the big matchup to Cody last week. Yes, Kevin. Cody is a good football team. It was a tough loss for the Pal Panthers last week. We're just not beat, man. We we got we're taking we're going to Star Valley in Aspen, Wyoming. We're taking like twenty nine dudes. That's all you take on a road trip, twenty nine. No, we got guys that are banged up. We got uh. guys that have been sick. We got, I mean, even still, we we have like forty three guys on the team, forty two guys, right? And fifteen of them are freshmen. You know, so. We're just not deep. We actually have a good senior class, but I mean, Cody went no huddle. They wore us down. We were we were battling, and it got to about four minutes in the second quarter. They scored three touchdowns in the last four minutes of the second quarter. They had a no huddle. They just swore us down. So 38-14, the final, between the number one and the number two 3A schools in the state last week. You were concerned that you guys were going to try to run too much into a nine-man box. Did that happen? Yeah, it wasn't – we didn't execute really well on offense. We didn't 
we can get on our double teams the way we need to get on our double teams to run the ball. It wasn't a nine-man box. They played a three-four front. We were ready for it. Cody's so just a good team. Oh, Cody, Wyoming. So well, you might get another I'm shot at him. Yeah, you could. Um, headed to Afton here. So I did the dumbest thing yesterday what? and today. So I'm driving because I'm going to meet a friend in another town in Riverton, Wyoming, after the game for the weekend. And so I'm not riding the bus here. And I did the little how far is Afton on ways. You know what I did yesterday? What? I looked at the time, which uh, which is the top on ways. It tells you the time you're going to be there. And it said 4.43. And I said, okay, four hours and 43 minutes. Perfect. Oh. It is currently 10 o'clock. I'll be there at 2.50. And then I did it again today, and it says five hours and 50 minutes. That's what it says on mine right so, now. Yeah, five hours, 41 minutes. So I, uh, I'll i make it on time, but I won't have any leisurely time in Yellowstone Park. I'm driving through Yellowstone Park to get to Afton, Wyoming, a five-hour and 40-minute conference game in Wyoming. Oh ridiculous. God. I mean, what's I mean, we talked about this last week, but for those that missed it, I mean, when you when you're involved in high school sports in a state like Wyoming, I mean, this isn't even Cooley's longest road trip of the season. That's going to be Jackson. It Hole. is of the season. Oh, it is. No, okay, it, 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 I'm sorry. The longest of the season. Okay, so close to six hours. Whew. Yeah. Oh, Whew. that is brutal. Brutal. <laughs> Um, is, it's a five o'clock game, so I'm assuming the bus the bus leaves around eight ish tonight, which for them is six hours back. Yeah, they're getting in at two thirty three in the morning for a high school team. That's brutal. Oh yeah, um, so, but your Star Valley's th- this is a game you should win tonight. No, they're a good team. They are well. They're two and three. I know they're two and three. They played Preston, Idaho, who's a little bit bigger. Um, I think they lost to Soda Springs, Idaho, which is bigger. And then they lost to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, who's a very good team. They were up 22-0 in the first half and then blew that lead. So they have three tough losses. They're a good team. Well, they also beat, they, they beat Rollins 74-6. to Rollins is, not, Rollins is not a good team. Yeah, I've tried to watch that. So. Apparently not. Apparently not. All right. Rollins was down 21-0 in three minutes in the game. So, anyway, so, um, I had one more quick thing for you regarding high school football. I'll make it quick. Dude, I, so I play a little scout team quarterback, which is basically living out my dream in football. Right. And I've been noticing that the center snaps um, from all our guys are, are aggressive, and they're not. they're a little all over the place. So I, I spent the last few days researching center snaps. And I thought about it, Kev, and I thought I've spent so much time thinking about so many different aspects of football, scheme, individual play, everywhere. I, I don't think I've ever actually researched shotgun center snaps. Have you? Have you ever thought about the center, how you want to snap the ball as a center? No. Well, yes. And this story, I swear to God, is only going to take 30 seconds. When my youngest son uh, was playing on a particular t- team, he was playing for a guy named Jimmy Kemp. Jimmy was 
uh, a star at Wake Forest, played in the CFL for many years. His father was Jack Kemp, and Jimmy was a phenomenal coach. He was great with young kids. Um, and uh, Jimmy, if you're listening to this, you were great with with my son and, and all of those kids. But I'll never forget the first couple of practices. Like I went towards the end to pick uh, pick Ryan up, and they were practicing the single wing. He, he was running the single wing, and the kids were like in sixth grade. And I kept thinking to myself, how the hell are they going to consistently at, at 11 and 12 years old get this snap back to the back consistently over and over again? And I swear I, I must have gone to two or three other practices and the ball was going in every which direction. But by the time they got ready for their first game and certainly by the time they got to the middle of the season, the snaps were perfect and consistent. So I do, I do remember sort of thinking more about this snap from center to whomever is behind the center um, uh, m- much more than probably you would have thought. All right, so go ahead. So anyways, so I, I worked on a few different things, and I came up with a pretty good approach where you hold more in the middle of the ball, and then you throw kind of a flat knuckle back. And if you do it just right, you can snap it to where the laces go out. Um, but here, to any young centers, if you think about the time that that ball takes to get there, if you snap it with a lot of velocity versus not a lot of velocity, it's very, very minuscule. And then if you think about the time where if you snap it to the quarterback to a catchable ball, that changes the time dynamically. Like if he gets it in his chest or gut versus have to bend down and pick it up, it's double the amount of time for him to have to bend down or do something different for it. Easy snap, flat knuckle back. You don't have to throw a 72-mile-an-hour spiral back there, which we've been trying to do. It makes sense. Got to think about it all, Kev. Got to think about it all when you're coaching high school football. Got to think about it all. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if the quarterback has to um, adjust because the ball came back there so hard, that takes a little more time and probably – requires the quarterback to focus more on even just catching the snap. Yeah, no doubt. Is a quarterback, is it okay for a quarterback in the shotgun or in the pistol um, to, you know, like if if you're standing back there, you, 95 out of 100 snaps, no, 98 out of 100, you're not going to drop if you're not looking at it. You will catch it with your peripheral, uh, with your peripheral vision. Meaning, well, yeah, but if, they, if I snap it a little bit harder to you, you don't. I understand that. So if you have the less intense snap, does the quarterback yeah. have to look it in every single time? Or can he? I he, wouldn't. I, I don't think I would either. I'd be... I'd have my eyes down the field looking at everything else, knowing that in my peripheral I'll be able to catch the snap. Yeah, all I need to see is the initial movement of the ball, and, and your mind tracks where that initial movement sending it anyways. Now, when that ball is coming a little faster than you think, then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, hit me right in the gut. But for me, if I just see the initial movement, my, my hand-eye tells me where that ball is going to be. So, yeah, their peripherals, peripherals should see it. You never see a quarterback almost ever drop a snap that hits him in the chest or hands. Right. Well, first of all, you don't want a quarterback to catch it in his chest. No, sorry. That hits him in the. the, the, the he's catching with his chest. That it with 
he's catching with his hand in the chest area. Yeah, exactly. Like that, in and around that very level. catchable area. You right. don't, yes, you don't see them drop those snaps almost ever. Right. I mean, it's, it happens, but it's, it's rare that they bumble a snap that hits them above the waist, below the neck. Yeah, not to mention most guys playing quarterback at almost any age are guys with really good hand-eye coordination. To begin with, you know, you, you don't have you don't have your center right. catching, you know, snaps or your your right guard. Um, remember the conversation we had many years ago about the word hike. Was that with you? Yeah. Like, oh, I hate hike. I hate hike. It's not you're not hiking the ball. That's what girls say. You're snapping the ball, and if you're saying down set hike. That that's it's hut, or it's something else. It's not hike. Am I right or wrong? Oh, I don't even like hut. You don't even I like hut. Hut. Said hut. So what? What do you like? Downset what? Go. go go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I don't um, care. I really don't care. You know what I like? What? I'll tell you what I like. I I, I like the clap. I think people hear clap better than they hear go or hike. It like I like a cadence steal. Steal? Golly, like not a chainsaw. I like a cadence. So because I think there's a lot you can do with cadence. But I want to clap. I actually think that almost every college does it. And they do it for a reason. It, the reason is that it works, Kev. They're not clapping just to be fun. Like, everyone's doing it because it, it works. They hear it. Right. And the other thing is the quarterback, really only the quarterback and the center have to be on the page if you wanted to do the fake clap thing, which is essentially going on two, which keeps the defense from getting off the ball on time. But nobody else has to worry about the fake clap. Only one guy really could be a problem. That's the center. And even if he snapped it, we're still running a play on a fake clap. Yeah, but people are yeah, getting a, get they're, they're, they're getting a late start on the fake clap. Yeah, if they snapped it on the late snap, but essentially, as long as the quarterback and center know it's on the fake clap, or even if the center just has, goes on the clap, like yo, when you hear it, go, because a lot of centers don't have to look at the quarterback where they're snapping it. They just they just throw it. The the clap gives you a a, a fake on two without actually having to have the risk uh, at, with young players of going on two. Right. They're just sitting there listening for a clap. I I love, I mean, it, and I, this is the case in high school football games too. I don't know if it's the case in your high school football games, but you see it so much in college. You just see, you know, a hard clap, and then everybody gets up and they look over at the, you know, the signs that the coaches are holding up for the plays with all kinds of illustrations. Um, oh, yeah. And I, you know, sometimes I wonder why it's not that simple at every level. It's not in the NFL. It's not because you can't consistently run the same concepts out of the same formations and looks in the NFL. There's just too many tendencies and too much time to find tendencies and too many things that dip defenses do differently week in and week out. But, but there's certain concepts that don't work against it. I think it's just too much. The other thing is it, it's nice to be able to call the play. You don't. Most NFL teams spend way too long wording it. They're just lazy with it instead of coming up with easier ways. But those guys have time to learn it, and they have time to understand the terminology and the language, and the quarterback can call it. And the other thing is, Kev, 
the quarterback has a headset in college in which the coach can or in the NFL in which the coach can talk into his ear the entire time. Yeah. Like our quarterback runs the sideline to get to play every time. <laughs> oh, he does. It's better than the old school shuttle method that we did when I was in high school where right. you shuttle on one receiver or something every time and he had to remember the play and then you'd get out there and you'd be like and then he'd give it okay, to the quarterback so, uh, and the quarterback would call it. Yeah. So double, I think he said double right, 51. I don't know. Then you look at the coach like, what was it? And he's like waving back, come here, hurry. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, oh, let's let, let's talk because I know you are, you know, in God's country and eventually you're going to run out of um, cell coverage or you're going to run into some bad cell coverage. So let's get to Washington who plays Atlanta Sunday at 1. Uh, they're a one-point favorite now after opening up as a one-point underdog against the Falcons. This is Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons, whose father is Fred Smith, who was a minority owner and a major falling out. A lot of people have pointed out over the last couple of days that if it weren't for Fred Smith's uh, company, Federal Express's um, you know, threat to Washington about changing their name, that maybe they'd still have the name. I don't believe that to be true. I think when George Floyd um, was murdered, I think that's, that set the, the wheels in motion for a lot of, of cultural change, and I think Washington's name was going to get swept up in it regardless. That's my personal view. But that aside, there's you know, certainly some bad blood between the Smiths and the Snyders. Um, and then you've got, obviously, Kyle Smith in Atlanta, uh, Fabian Moreau, by the way, for those that didn't know, is a starting corner for the Falcons. Um, Washington's one and two, and really, uh, you know, we, we don't have to call it must win or code red game, but th- it certainly feels like a loss would send this team spiraling. Um, and, e- you know, a win, and it may not, you know, feel great, um, but, uh, what do you make of the current state of Washington off that blowout loss to, to, to Buffalo and as they enter uh, into this one against the Falcons? Well, it is a game where if you win, it's kind of ho-hum. You should beat the Falcons. I think that line either way, minus one or plus one, it doesn't matter. It stinks big time. Because if you look at Atlanta's weaknesses, it matches up to every one of Washington's strengths. For me, this is a game that Washington should win handily. You look at Atlanta, they're, they're not good in the middle of their offensive line. Like young guard, rookie guard, center average. I, dude, this is John Payne, Deron Allen, Matt Ioannidis written all over it. You're going to have to worry about doubling those guys. Chase Young should have some freedom off the edge because you're doubling those guys. A team that hasn't quite learned how to run the zone scheme. I know that Matt Ryan knew and some of the older players that were there with the Shanahan's understood it, but that doesn't understand Arthur Smith's scheme defensively there's some real holes Washington should be able to stay balanced Washington should win this game but if they don't and it wins ho-hum but if they don't it's the start of problems for Ron it'll be a problem why from whom because you're losing to a bad team not from anybody where he's going to get fired just I think ultimately there will be some pressure from the media, which he's gotten a little of, but he hasn't gotten the real taste of. Oh, no, 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 at no. This point he, he hasn't gotten any. He, he hasn't gotten he's any. Tried to manip- he, no, he's still in that process of trying to manipulate it a little bit and trying to manage it and not understand that, man, you, you get to one and three here, and you shouldn't have beat the Giants. Like they, they really had – I don't think they should have beat the Giants. And to, right now you're looking at two losses where – 
It was close with the Chargers, but they got handled throughout the game, and the defense, which is supposed to be great, isn't good. Same thing with Buffalo, handled throughout the game. And you beat a Giants team that's not very good on a last-second field goal where the dummy jumped off sides or you would have lost the game. Yeah, they'd be, they'd be 0-3 right now. Um, and 1-3 and is not going to look good, personally, especially with some of the quarterbacks coming up on the schedule. It's, it's going to be a, a tough row to hoe with Taylor Heineke or Tyler. What's his name? His Tyler? Name. Taylor? Come on. Um, people are going to be like, Cooley's not engaged. He doesn't. He's not into this team at all. Well, he's not. He's not like he used to be. Understand that. We talked about that a couple of times ago. You're not watching, you know, you're not living in the day-to-day like you have been for, you know, 15 years at this point or longer than that, 17 years. Um, so a couple of things. Number one, Boy, I think we're a long way away from Ron being in trouble, you know, from Dan and Tanya. Okay, I would say no, not in trouble, not in trouble. Okay, not saying that. Okay, I feel the pressure from outside and feel the true frustration of Washington fans. Yes, I don't disagree with you on that. I also think that a lot of it will come if it continues the way it's continued defensively. A lot of it's going to come down on Del Rio. Um, and a lot of it's been coming down on the players. Chase Young's taken a lot of heat from the fans, media, and everybody. Um, you know, zero sacks in three games, not that much of an impact. By the way, real quickly, let me just mention to everybody, Ron Rivera's on my radio show Fridays at 8, so go to the team980.com or download the Odyssey app, and you can listen to the interview that I had with him this morning. And I did say, I said, look, I don't want to be long-winded about Chase Young. Just answer this question. Why does he have zero sacks in three games? And, you know, he had – he was very protective of Chase – um, he's been very protective of his players other than to say over and over again, maturity, lack of discipline, not doing what they're supposed to be doing is the issue. Jack Del Rio said it in his press conference yesterday too. Right now what you have is you've got this pitted coaches and players situation where Ron and Jack have a system – They have job responsibilities for players, and they want them to play that system and in a very disciplined way. There's no room, no room for freelancing in their system. And you've got players, some of whom, and Chase Young's definitely one of them, but there are others that aren't consistently doing their job. So let me just mention this, too, and then I'll let you respond to all of it. I disagree with you on the matchup against Atlanta. I think it's a toss-up. I think I think Washington definitely should move the football and score points against Atlanta. I think Atlanta's not very good defensively. The Giants only scored 14, but really it was a lot of self-inflicted stuff. By the way, same thing for Atlanta against the, the Giants. Both of those teams could have scored more um, and had better offensive results. But I think Washington should move the football, and I would be I would be disappointed if Taylor Heineke doesn't have maybe the best day of his very short uh, NFL career in a potential win because he's had some good days and losses. 
he did play actually well um, against the Giants in a win. But I, I expect Taylor Heineke and this offense to have a, a, a big day. I think the Atlanta defense is very vulnerable, and I think Washington's played three pretty good defensive teams. And Buffalo, a really good defensive team. Obviously, they had issues with Joey Bosa um, in, the, in the opener, and I think the Giants are pretty stout up front. I think they should move the football, but I disagree with you. I understand that they're not great in their interior but in watching some of the Falcons against the Giants and the Buccaneers I didn't watch any of the Philadelphia game that ball's coming out quickly from a very smart quarterback with playmakers Calvin Ridley Patterson is a playmaker and he's been that for eight years in the league they line him up in the backfield they get him the ball on run extension throws Mike Davis is catching the ball you may be right they may not be totally in tune yet with with what uh, with what Arthur Smith once done, but I, I, it would not surprise me if this is a very close game and the odds makers have it right on the on the line, and that Atlanta is able to move the football. It'll be disappointing to a lot of people. I understand that. But the defense has been the second-worst third-down defense in the league. By the way, offensively, and when we get to the keys to the game, offensively they're dead last on third-down in the league. I mean, if you want to know why they're 1-2 and two and should be 0-3, third-downs both offensively and defensively. But I think that this is a coin-flip matchup, and I think if they win – it's a good win. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that it's going to make me feel like the rest of the season's going to go well, but I could easily see them losing this game. Oh, I don't think that they're going to win the game. I think they should win the game. I think they're going to lose the game. Why do you think but, you're... But just so we're, just we're clear on that, like, that line is the scariest thing of all of it. My, the point I was making to you is that I think Washington's a better all-around football team, and if I'm Atlanta, I don't like this matchup because the best part of Washington matches up against the weakest part of Atlanta. The, the thing is, is you made it clear, and we can get to some of the defensive stuff, that there's clearly a disconnect between what's going on with scheme and playmaking. So that's a problem defensively. Heineke, as great as everyone's made it to be, and as, as much fun as this has been, is a limited player at quarterback. He's limited and will be limited with he, what he's capable of doing at quarterback. Not saying that he can't operate and work within an offense, but he's limited. Uh, Scott Turner. Is, why is in, he in limited? Why, these, uh, why is he limited? Because he just doesn't have that overall potential to make every throw. He doesn't see it the way a, a veteran quarterback would see it. I'm not saying that he can't grow to become less limited, but right now he's limited. They're limited in what they want to do offensively. Scott Turner, as I've watched these games, really doesn't have what I would consider an overall plan of the way he's laying out. Like, he's not an architect of offense. He's put together groupings of plays and just goes off of that. Like, it doesn't tie as an offensive concept build or should build throughout a game. He's really grab back more than anything, in my opinion. And so, and maybe that's because of some of the limitations of Heineke. Uh, because of maybe some of the limitations of so, uh, the offensive line and the young offense, I don't know. But I will tell you this: like if Atlanta doesn't give up the big play, and that'll be their, I guarantee that'll be the coaching point all week. Like DPs, Atlanta, it will be do not give up the seventy-yard screen play to Antonio Gibson. They will not drive it on us. We'll find a way to get stops. They will not ultimately drive it on us. And if our offense can find a way to score twenty-four, we'll win the game. 
I, I think Washington's a better team. I think Atlanta will play a good game. And in, in both parts you mentioned, like there's some animosity on the Atlanta side. Also, don't don't discount the fact that if Arthur Smith gets up, he's going to run the score up. If he gets a chance to, he's going to go after him, man. You really think that a so, rookie coach is going to try to run the score up on a team? Huh? Yeah, I he's mean, a rookie head coach. He's not a rookie. Coach. Like he's been around. Oh, I, know, I know he's a rookie head coach, and I know you know oh, him oh, really God. well. You 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 think that there would be that kind of animosity towards the organization from his father? Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. I don't think I they're do going to be that. in position to run the score up. I'm not saying that. I doubt that. And by I the doubt, way, I doubt that. by the way, my prediction is going to be different. I, I'm going to predict that Washington's going to win the game in a very tight game, which is, I think, exactly what I predicted with the Giants when everybody was saying, "Well, this should be easy." You know, people have been saying this week, "This is your get right game." Really? Well, I, I think Atlanta's looking at the game as potentially a get right game. They won last week. They feel like they could probably win this week. They get the Jets at home next week. They're looking at, hey, we can be three and two, you know, next week. Um, Atlanta, I mean, we're discounting. I'm not saying you're doing it. Uh, too many people are discounting that Matt Ryan. It, Matt Ryan's a former NFL MVP. He knows how to play quarterback. Calvin Ridley's a top 10 to top 12 wide receiver in the league. Kyle Pitts is as highly rated a tight end that's come out in the draft that we've seen in years. Now, one of the things I noticed from the Giant game, and Ron actually said this on the radio show, you can still, they just have not figured out the best way to utilize him yet. He's only been targeted 17 times, I think it is, in three games. He's got 11 catches. But Patterson is a load, man. He is a physical runner. He's always been like a, a big time return guy, yes. a mix and match guy. Like he's not a line him up outside, dare you guy. He, he is. They are using him in the backfield. You know, you always notice Cordell Patterson, number 84, in the backfield. Um, and just like Ty Montgomery, like the two players who have had jersey numbers in the 80s that have been lined. But they've been using him all over the place. They throw little screens to him, the ball's coming out quickly from Ryan. You know, Washington hasn't shown they've been able to cover. Ridley's a tough cover to begin with. I just, after three games of watching this defense, it's not going to surprise me if Atlanta is able to move the football. It's not going to surprise me at all. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, but at the same time, I'm just saying, like, it's going to be hard. Just keep in mind, the interior front of Washington is going to be a problem for Atlanta. They're going to get pressure on Ryan in the backfield. They're going to make some of the zone runs, have to cut earlier. It's as much problem as Washington's had with a couple things. They're going to be okay in this game. Um, they you... should. They should. If they're bad in this game on defense, there are real problems. No doubt. That I agree with. If they If they end up giving up – you know, six of twelve or seven of twelve on third down, and they lose. You know, twenty-eight, twenty-one, and Matt Ryan throws for three hundred, completing you know sixty-eight percent of his passes, um, and they get shredded again defensively. There are going to be big issues next week. Look, we've already seen the beginning of this discussion, and there's definitely, as I've said all week. And, and Cooley, I haven't even talked to you this week. Just a lot of people think people are trying to stir it up, you know, media people. Nuh-uh. There is something that ain't right about the whole defense, defense right now. And it's more than just they're not producing. It is a coaches, players, 
you know, play this scheme, goddammit, uh, please, and then it'll work, and the player's pushing back a little bit, or maybe not pushing back, but not consistently doing what they're supposed to do. Well, and, and there's some, do they understand the scheme in its entirety, or is that maybe a problem? But consistently saying immaturity, when you have essentially three veteran interior linemen, four, if you want to go, and Montez, who might be a little immature, and a linebacking group with, with mostly Bostic and Holcomb are not immature. Like, you're saying Chase Young's playing with immaturity. You're saying it. So just say it. Say Chase Young's not doing his job the way we want him to do his job. I don't have a problem and then with I'm gonna, not saying and then that. I'm gonna say, I, I don't and have then a... I'm going to say to you, no, you shouldn't. But then I'm going to say to you, then find a way to get him to do a better job. Find him, to, find a way to create success for him. I'm with you. Because if that. you if you can't do that, then you're fucked. I'm sorry, but if you're going to do what happened to Lavar Arrington or take a best player out of it, like find a way to counteract. Let Chase Young go make a play and find a way to compensate for it. And that's a little bit tougher said or done than said, but still. Dude, I watched Chase Young play throughout a big part of last year. I watched him play senior year of college. He is not normal. He is better than most people. So let him be better. Find a way with your other guys to compensate for his greatness. Don't just make him a freaking domino. I am with you, and I said that earlier this week. If he doesn't succeed, if we go three more games and he's you know having the same minimal impact that he's had, it's on them. It's on the coaches, period, when you have a talent like that. Now, with that said, I, you know, you you can see in plays last week, and we've talked about him during the week this week in the podcast, where he isn't, you know, playing his gap or playing his responsibility or doing his job. So he is freelancing and he is letting it fly a little bit. And you know what? He isn't winning a lot. That guy, Daryl Williams, the right tackle, owned him. Last week, just like uh, uh, Donovan Smith and Wirfs did in the playoff game last year. But still, I'm with you. Like, to me, maybe it's because he's thinking too much. Maybe it's, you know, he's trying to, you know, trying to do what they're telling him to do. And by the way, I don't think it's just him. I want to make sure we're clear on this. I think there's a linebacker or two and maybe even somebody in coverage that is, you know, struggling as well with this. But he's the one that's gifted beyond what anybody else is. And if it doesn't improve for him production-wise, it's on the coaching staff. It's totally on the coaches. And there are a lot of ways that they can create production for him. I've told you three times that, that those guards and center are a problem. I think their left guard is a rookie. I think it's their right or left guard is a rookie. You get third and eight, create a one-on-one matchup and put him over the left guard and build confidence. Let him, get, let him be the guy that makes the play. Put him on the it's inside? It's happen. Put him in the inside yeah, on third and eight. We used to do that all the time with Ryan Kerrigan. Right. Everyone loved that. All this, we got great matchups. Put Montez on the outside with Chase Young on the inside. Create a bull rush off the left edge with Deron Payne or Jonathan Allen and just push the pocket off the edge and then let Chase go get the quarterback. Hey, Chase, you have one job. Go get the quarterback. I don't care how you do it. We'll play contain on the outside, and our other defensive tackle will keep the pocket. He'll keep the pocket. You go get the quarterback. You have one job. Get him. Go get him, buddy. They create successful situations for him. You know, if, I, if, if we saw that, 
um, on Sunday, I would be really impressed that they thought outside the box and tried to create something and tried something new. And by the way, I don't think it's time to bail after three games, but that would be impressive to me because I think right now they're a little bit stodgy, stuck in their ways, and um, we'll see. I, I don't know. Um, I know you've got essentially two minutes before you're going to run into this you know, bad, bad stretch, so, so go ahead and finish up. Here's the last thing, and I've seen this happen a lot of times in different teams in different ways. It, you can preach scheme over players for a certain period of time, but at some point when scheme doesn't work, players look around and go, why are we doing this? You can preach it now, and you have guys like John Allen Payne, I'm sure, are saying, we got to play within the scheme. we got to play our fits. we got to play our gap. But at some point, you're going to start saying, why are we playing this team this way? They'll do that. Everyone does it. It's, it just happens. Especially when the, what I think is you're saying Chase Young, who should be your most dynamic player, is the problem. That doesn't last very long with the locker room. Yeah, I, so, and I don't, I don't think that's exactly what he's saying, but I, I, I know that he's included in the group of players that, you know, quote, aren't, aren't doing their job consistently. All right, final score prediction and then see ya. 24-17 Atlanta. All right, see you. We'll talk next week. Good luck tonight. Drive Thank safely. You. Chris Cooley, everybody. Uh, on his way to Star Valley, Wyoming, a five-hour and 50-minute road trip for a high school football game on Friday night. Um, it's a different world out there uh, in so many different ways. I loved what he said, though about getting creative and figuring out a way to get their young, talented player off. And whether it's moving them inside or just whatever it takes to get a favorable matchup, you know, one of the things we talked about the other day, I I just, I see John Allen as a, you know, job doer, you know, a do-your-job guy. I think John's, you know, incredibly talented. Um, But Chase Young isn't a job doer. Chase Young is a game wrecker, and they've got to figure out a way to get him in position to start wrecking some games. And I say that all the while understanding that last week in one-on-one matchups when he was sort of outside the scheme, he wasn't winning. I understand that. Um, But I think maybe he's thinking too much. Who knows? Uh, I think Atlanta isn't going to be overwhelmed by Washington's defense on Sunday, regardless of their interior uh, offensive line troubles. I, I don't see that. I see Atlanta with a smart veteran quarterback being able to scheme around some of those weaknesses. All right, when we come back, uh, I'll give you a couple of keys to the game. Uh, also, uh, my final score prediction, a smell test, uh, and then we will get to Jeff Ehrman, who will help preview Maryland, Iowa tonight. Right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Just a reminder that if you haven't subscribed to the podcast and you can subscribe, it doesn't cost you a thing. It really helps us. And keep those ratings and reviews coming. They are really helpful. If you haven't rated the podcast or reviewed the podcast, um, especially on Apple, Spotify, and Google, take a minute to two minutes and do that for us. It's really helpful in our ability to sell advertising to support um, this podcast. Those of you that have done it, it's much appreciated. This segment sponsored by my good friends at Window Nation. I'll just cut to the chase on this. If you are thinking about new windows, for whatever reason, your energy bills are too high when it's too hot or too cold, or you're looking to improve the look of your home for better curb appeal, please give Window Nation a shot. I know Window Nation. I've worked within Window Nation. Every single person I have referred Window Nation to, whether it's through these shows or personally, it's worked out for. If you call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com, you'll get a free estimate. So there's no risk. They're not going to be pushy once you get that free estimate. They're going to let you shop it. You can do with it whatever you choose. But I promise you, you're not going to get a better deal, which I'll outline here in a moment. And you're not going to work with better people. Now, the deal they've got going right now is what they call their fall is calling sale. All right. We're getting ready for fall here. We're in fall. Technically, it's the first day of October. They're offering no limit on buy two, get two free. So if you need 10 windows, you're only going to pay for five of them. They're also offering 0% interest for 24 months with no money down and no payments and no interest for two full years. So you're not going to pay a nickel on these windows for two years, but you're going to enjoy the benefit of these windows. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and mention my name and they will take good care of you. Uh, Did you see the reporter in Miami that reported that the Dolphins are going to trade for Deshaun Watson? And then, and then, Washington is going to trade a second rounder for Tua Tungavailoa. Uh, I don't know the credibility of this reporter. Um, my producer on the radio show, Brendan Dar, told me that he is a well-known columnist, I think, slash reporter in, in South Florida. Uh, I can't imagine personally that Washington's going to give up a second for Tua at this point, but I haven't given up on Tua. I mean, that's ridiculous to have given up on him um, when he's been hurt. That's the issue with him at this point, right? He can't stay healthy. So I would be concerned about that, but I do like the talent. Uh, I was not in favor of drafting Tua at number two overall with Chase Young on the board, especially with Tua's history, and I was not a Justin Herbert guy. And most of you weren't either. Um, And so no one was really thinking about Justin Herbert at number two in that 2020 draft. The, the, you know, revisionist history on that is ridiculous. Now, it's okay to say, what would you do now if you had the chance? Based on what you know now, what would you have done if you could go back? That's a different conversation. I'd draft Justin Herbert. Wouldn't even think twice. 
I would hope that most of you have come around to that thinking. Um, that Because uh, we've had this conversation before. That Justin Herbert, if you could go back and redo the 2020 draft, not that anybody was thinking about Justin Herbert, but if you knew what you knew now, that you would take Justin Herbert. Of course you would. And that's not because Chase Young has started off slowly. It's because of what Justin Herbert is at the most important position. Uh, again, that Tua thing, who knows? By the way, Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus, I wanted to mention this. We've had him on the podcast and the radio show. He is Pro Football Focus's lead analyst. He put out a tweet yesterday, um, which actually I, I found to be pretty interesting because I, I think intuitively I agree with it. Um, and the tweet was that Washington leads the league um, with the lowest number of missed tackles on defense. And he said about that, um, let me just find this real quickly because I wanted to read it, I meant to. He said about that, Washington's defense has been bad, yet they have the lowest total of missed tackles in the NFL. That's vaguely terrifying because it means there's a good chance it could get worse. You know, his point being that if they don't lead the league in the lowest amount of missed tackles, then you know, the defense could get even worse. Well, I think one of the reasons um, that you uh, would hope that it could improve is I, I think they are a good tackling team. And I think they've been a good tackling team here over the last year and a half uh, or year and, and three games. Um, anyway, I thought that was an interesting PFF note that they – uh, that their defense has the lowest total of missed tackles in the NFL. The problem is the tackles are coming after the offensive player has gone beyond the first down sticks. Okay, a um, couple of quick keys to a win over Philadelphia. Here's something that I don't think enough of us have focused on this week. Maybe you've heard others focus on that, uh, focus on this, and if that's true, that's fine. We have focused so much on the defense being a bad defense and being the culprit, the primary culprit for a one and two start. And I don't think that's really even debatable. Um, the defense ranks 31st on third down in the league defensively, allowing 58.7% conversion against their defense on third down. And we've, we've noticed that, obviously, uh, over the first three games of the year. That has to get better. It has to get better on Sunday against Atlanta. You can't end up with Atlanta going 7 or 8 for 13 on third down, you know, or you're going to be in trouble. What we haven't focused on nearly enough, or I haven't, because it hasn't been the bigger issue. The bigger issue has been getting off the field on third down on defense because maybe the expectations were the defense was going to be much better, and maybe that's why we haven't focused on the following. And that is that Washington is dead last on offense on third down. They're converting 26.5% of their own third down conversions offensively, 9 of 34. If this continues, the 32nd ranked third down offense and the 31st ranked third down defense, they're going to be lucky to win four games. You can be bad as a third down defensive team if you're great on offense with a great quarterback, you can overcome that and still be a winning team. It's still an important number, 
And it's tough to finish dead last or in the bottom three or four on third down defense and win a Super Bowl. But you can have a winning record and you can advance to the postseason. But it usually happens when you have someone like Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. So the reason I bring that up is because the third down defensive numbers through three weeks have Washington at 31st, allowing 58.7%, and have the Packers at 30th. So you can overcome it if you've got Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback, and you're only bad defensively on third down. But if you're bad offensively on third down and bad defensively on third down, you're winning four games. And if you're Washington and you continue to be 31st on third down, but you improve your offensive numbers, you don't have the quarterback to overcome a defense that can't get off the field. Washington's offensive number, by the way, is so bad, there's literally four percentage points difference between their number, um, which is 26.5% on third down, uh, the worst in the league, and then Baltimore, who's at 31st, at 30.3%. So they're not just the worst offensively on third down. They are the worst by a long way and a long margin. Key number one to beating the Falcons, get off the field on third down on defense and stay on the field offensively on third down. Now, it would help if you're really good on first and second down and you don't face a lot of third downs on offense. It would also help defensively against especially Matt Ryan more than Justin Herbert or Daniel Jones or Josh Allen if you can create third and longs for Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is the kind of quarterback that on third and 12 is going to be looking for the check down quickly. He doesn't have the escapability that the first three quarterbacks that they faced had. Get off the field on third down. Stay on it uh, on offense on third down. Third downs are crucial Sunday against Atlanta. Uh, The next thing um, in terms of uh, keys to beating uh, the Falcons. I think Taylor Heineke's really got to deliver on Sunday, and I think he's going to have the opportunity to do it. I really think Atlanta – is a defense that they should be able to move the football against. I'd be surprised if this isn't a really good game, maybe the best game of the year for the offense. I see chunk plays. I see the ability to run the football against Atlanta. Grady Jarrett up front is a tough matchup. He's a good player. They do have some speed in their back seven. Their secondary is not good enough. Washington should be able to throw the football. They should be able to have their quarterback extend plays and make plays against this defense. Uh, I think this is a big spot for Taylor Heineke. He's got to deliver. I think he will. It's also, let's be fair here, this is not a tough road environment. In fact, you know, games in Georgia, in Atlanta over the years have had a lot of Washington fans. I don't know if that'll be the case on Sunday, but it's not like they're fired up for the Falcons at this point. I like their chances to move the football offensively against the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I don't think there are real significant challenges offensively up front except for Grady Jarrett. Uh, and I see Taylor Heineke being able to deliver. I think he has to. If he's off, if he's inaccurate, if he forces stuff into areas where he shouldn't be throwing, when there are chunk plays or checkdowns available, well, then it could be on him Sunday. 
But I, I think there's a chance he's got a big game, and I think he needs to have a big game because I think they have a decisive advantage, their offense, against Atlanta's defense. I think it's a much bigger advantage than Washington's defense versus Atlanta's offense. I don't know that there is a significant advantage there. There could be, and maybe the offense gets out to a quick lead, moving on Atlanta, and it puts some pressure and it changes the game context. That could all happen. Uh, Two more. Washington beats Atlanta um, if they're very cognizant of a guy that can really change a game on the other side, and that's Corderell Patterson. He's been in the league for nine years. He's been one of the best kickoff returners in the last nine years. He is a game changer. He can make a big play from 108 yards, eight yards deep in the end zone. Kick it out of the end zone, Dustin Hopkins. Kick it out of the end zone. Don't give him a chance. They're going to get him in space. He's a physical runner with the ball in his hands. So tackling will be important. Uh, Mike Davis, uh, I like him as a back. I think Cooley nailed it. I don't know that they're totally, totally comfortable yet in the Arthur uh, Smith scheme. It's only game four for them. Um, Lastly, um, this is a game where I think if you don't make any killer mistakes and you don't self-inflict or self-destruct, you're going to either win this game or you're going to have a really good chance to win this game. Atlanta's not good enough to blow Washington out without Washington helping, and vice versa, I would suggest. So as cliche as it is, this can't be a game where you end up with turnovers, where you end up with too many penalties on plays that would move the chains. So instead of a first and 10, you've got a third and 15 or a third and 20. You can't have that. Um, You've got to... Uh, you, you've got to you know, play a clean game. I, I, I think some of you think, no, it doesn't have to be that clean. They're, they're much better than Atlanta. No, they're not. They're not. Uh, they have an advantage, I do think, offense over defense. I don't think there's that much of an advantage Washington's defense over Atlanta's offense. I watched a lot of the Giant game, and I watched some of the Tampa Bay game. Atlanta's capable offensively. They're not great offensively, but they are capable of moving the football against a defense that isn't playing well. And that leads me to this, my final score prediction. Washington 27, Atlanta 26. Atlanta covers or pushes, depending on where the game goes off. Washington wins. I don't feel great about this game, uh, but they should be the more urgent and more desperate of the two teams. This one may not feel like code red or must win, but it certainly feels like a really need to have. 27-26 Washington uh, is my final score prediction. All right, let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for for the the smell smell test. test. All right, it's early in the season, boys and girls. Just relax. Um, this uh, this note from Seth. Uh, Sheehan, you don't have to play that many games every week. Uh, you've got a much better chance of a winning record if you just play a few games each week. Thank you, Seth. Uh, and by the way, you can tweet me at Kevin Sheehan DC on Twitter. Actually, Seth, um, there's 
no truth to that. I mean, now, if you're betting lots of games and you lose lots of games, you're going to lose more in juice in terms of dollars lost. But in terms of producing a winning record, there's no change in probability with fewer games versus lots of games. Look, I am right now a blackjack player playing a system, playing basic blackjack strategy. You know, when you hit 16 against a jack and you lose three times in a row like I have in the first three weeks or two out of the first three weeks, you still got to come back and hit the six against a 10. Sorry, that's basic blackjack strategy, and that gives you your best chance. My strategy of playing sort of a contrarian against the public along with some of the information, I've got a system. I've got a philosophy. And over a 15-year period, it's produced 11 winning seasons and four losing seasons. And I have been down big at times um, in some of these seasons. And right now, after a 3-7-1 and one week last week, I'm 15-21-2 overall. Let's get to it. Uh, I'm not giving out Maryland tonight, even though I would lean Maryland. I like Maryland tonight. I think I'm going to personally play them. But there's sharp money on Iowa tonight, um, as well as sharp money on Maryland. That's my information. I'm staying off the game as far as the smell test goes. I do like a game tonight in college football, and hopefully we can get you off to a winning start tonight with Tulsa laying three and a half over Houston. Um, Tulsa's one and three. Houston is three and one. Uh, the public believes that Houston should be the favorite team, and yet Tulsa's the favorite team, so they're playing Houston. I like Tulsa laying the three and a half. Uh, let's go to tomorrow. I'm going to go to the well um, on three teams that I went with last week that all lost. In fact, not only did they lose, they weren't even close. Um, but clearly, odds makers seem to think that these teams are really undervalued, and they are trying to generate a hell of a lot of action on the teams that are playing these teams. We'll start with Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a two-point favorite over Michigan. Now, last week I had them as a six-and-a-half-point favorite against Notre Dame. Didn't work. I understand that. Tomorrow, they are two, laying two against an undefeated Michigan team in Madison. Public thinks Wisconsin stinks, that the, the point spread is wrong. I will go at least one more week laying the points, uh, a weird number, with Wisconsin minus the two. Uh, TCU is home tomorrow against Texas, who beat Texas Tech 70-35. to 35. Last week, TCU got beat by SMU. The number's four in Fort Worth. My oldest son is on his way down there. He's a a TCU alum, and he and all of his boys are meeting up to party all weekend in Fort Worth uh, and go to the Texas game. That's a big home game for for the Frogs. I like TCU plus the four. That line is super short. Uh, take Miami of Ohio minus the one uh, over Central Michigan. That line should be the other way minus one. The public's on Central Michigan in that MAC matchup. Here's another one that I did not uh, come close with last week. I liked Florida State as a favorite over Louisville. They didn't get it done. They were close there at the end. Um, they are laying five against Syracuse this week. Florida State's winless, and they're laying five. Public all over their opponent. I'll take the Knowles and lay the five. Clemson can't score, and they're laying 14-and-a-half against Boston College, an undefeated team. There's something not right about that point spread. So I'm going to take Clemson again. I had them last week against NC State. They lost outright laying 10. I'll go with the Tigers one more week. 
They're laying 14 and a half. Buy that down to 14 against an undefeated BC team. The public is pounding Boston College. I like Arizona State plus three late night against UCLA. And for all of you degenerates, I like Hawaii super late night on Saturday night, early Sunday morning, catching 11 in the final college football game of the weekend against Fresno, who has had some big, big wins. Fresno ranked 21st in the country. Um, They are an 11-point favorite in Honolulu against Hawaii. I'll take the Rainbows plus the 23. Let's go to Sunday. Uh, Why are the Bears favored over anybody? Why is that? Uh, It doesn't make any sense. Uh, This is a hold-your-nose game and I'll just give you a fair warning that if that you know if the line goes crazy the other way I would just back off it right now they're a three-point favorite over the Lions who should have beaten the Ravens last week if the delay of game penalty was called and the Bears off that Justin Fields performance he may not be the quarterback bottom line is they shouldn't be favored by three over anybody Uh, I'll take the favorite here I'll take the Bears and lay the three um I think there's a game that not only fits the smell test this week, but it's also a matchup that I really like. I don't think the Giants are terrible at 0-3. They obviously were, in their last two games, lost in the final play of the game against Washington uh, and Atlanta. Um, And I I just think that they are better. They lost Blake Martinez on defense. And that's a big blow to them. But I, you could see a little bit more of Saquon Barkley looking like Saquon Barkley last week. I like the Giants. I think they're going to win this game outright. I think I'm going to have the Giants on the money line Sunday at the Superdome against the Saints. I think they're better than we think they are. It's a terrible start for them. They may not be able to recover in terms of you know, chasing or running down the Cowboys in the NFC East. Um, but I like the Giants plus the 7.5 uh, at the Superdome. The public really likes uh, the Saints. I've given the Vikings out as winners the last two weeks, and believe it or not, the public's on their opponent again this week. They're on Cleveland laying two. I'll take the Vikings plus two. Um, the Vikings are much better than their 1-2 and two record. They should be 3-0. and oh. Uh, We've talked about that uh, already. They're facing a team in Cleveland that generated nine sacks against the Bears. So the public sees that, and they're like, whoa. I mean, what a defense and the running game with Chubb and Hunt, et cetera. Um, I'll take the Vikings at home plus two. Here's a game for you uh, that really doesn't make sense. Green Bay off that big win over San Francisco. Pittsburgh banged up after losing to Cincinnati at home. And the Packers are laying six and a half. Buy the half point and take the Steelers at plus seven. Uh, And then the most one-sided public matchup of the weekend is also the biggest game in recent years in the NFL in the regular season. The public loves Tom Brady laying seven with his Tampa Bay Buccaneer teammates in Foxborough Sunday night against the Patriots. This is a one-sided deal. Now, you know, there's been so much public action on Tampa that the line's gone up a little bit. The sharp action's been split. I'm going to take New England plus the seven uh, in a, you know, 20 to 13, 21 17 kind of game. Uh, this is the only side to be on Sunday night. Everybody's convinced that the Buccaneers are going to blow him out, that Brady's going to come back with a can of whoop ass for Belichick. Um, I'm going uh, opposite of that uh, per usual. I'll take the Buck, uh, the uh, Patriots. 
plus the seven. So recapping the smell test picks, Tulsa tonight minus three and a half, Wisconsin, TCU, Miami of Ohio, Florida State, Clemson, Arizona State, and Hawaii on Saturday. On Sunday, the Bears, Giants, Vikings, Steelers, and Patriots. Um, Hold off on the Bears until you see what happens based on who they start at quarterback. I may put out a tweet Sunday morning taking the Bears out of the smell test. Um, We'll see what happens with the line if Justin Fields gets the start. But the Bears being favored in this spot with anybody playing quarterback, um, even if it's Foles, just seems wrong. Um, Against a Detroit team that's been really feisty. I had them last week, had them in the opener. They've covered uh, a couple of times uh, for us here early uh, in the year. All right. um, When we come back, Jeff Ehrman from Inside Maryland Sports to help preview Maryland versus Iowa tonight. Right after these words from a few of our sponsors. A big one tonight in College Park. Really, I think, uh, as big a home football game as they've had probably since the Ralph Friedgen era. 8 o'clock tonight, Iowa, the fifth-ranked team in the land, visiting as an undefeated team against an undefeated Maryland team that was almost ranked this past week. Uh, Very much looking forward to this. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, that this was a possibility after they beat West Virginia, that this could be a huge spot for Maryland football. Joining us right now to discuss is my friend Jeff Ehrman, who covers Maryland sports uh, better than anybody else does at InsideMarylandSports.com. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff underscore Ehrman, E-R-M-A-N-N. This is the biggest home game for Maryland football since when? Uh, that's funny you asked that, Kevin. We were having the same discussion on our podcast last night. I mean, I feel like the Penn State game a few years ago was kind of similar. Obviously, it didn't go very well. That's kind of the theme, actually. With you know, when you talk about the biggest game since most of the games on the list did not go very well. But you know, that Penn State game comes to mind where they were undefeated and, and got throttled, obviously. And then before that, you know, it might be that Florida State game. I, I I'm trying to remember the year, early 2010s, maybe like 2012. Maryland's undefeated. Uh, I think they were ranked like 24th. There was a lot of hype, and then they go in Florida State and lose 63 to nothing in one of the most <laughs> yeah. lopsided games I've ever watched. Um, so those are the two that came to mind. I mean, there really haven't been a lot of big games when you're when you have re- losing records every year, and you have the off-field stuff that's happened and everything else. There hasn't there there haven't been a lot of games to compare it to in recent years. You know, for me, um, as a longtime Maryland sports person and an alum, you know, I don't know that there was a bigger home game, more anticipated, or a more glorious night than the Clemson game back in two thousand one. I, I'm, I'm yeah. look. There were games. I mean, there were Thursday night, you know, games and wins over Virginia, and there was a win over Florida State one year. But those first mm-hmm. three years of Ralph were the, the the years that were equivalent to the Bobby Ross years when they played massive games in the eighties at home. And that Clemson game, I don't know if that game's ever been topped in terms of just how excited people were to see him clinch at least a tie for the ACC crown. They would clinch it a week later at NC State. 
Um, you know yeah. that, that Florida State game you talked about. There was a Wake Forest game one year that was a big game in terms of potentially getting to an ACC title game. Um, but uh, and and there was the Florida State game that that year, the, the second year after two thousand in two thousand two, early in the season, and they got absolutely throttled at home. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like this feels that big, but uh, we'll see. I mean, what, what kind of do you have any idea what kind of crowd they're expecting tonight? Well, first off, you know, those games were really big, but they were winning at the time right. of those games, and they had established themselves. So you could definitely argue this is bigger because they need it more. Um, and in terms of the crowd, you know, I was really surprised earlier this week. I shouldn't say really surprised based on, you know, Maryland's struggles in recent years and the poor attendance, but I was surprised earlier this week that the, the, the place was like half full, according to all the websites. But now it looks like it should be, I think, as of last night, there was maybe 5,000 left. I was told that they are, uh, because of strong student demand, they're doing some overflow student seating in the upper deck, which is usually where those biggest patches of empty seats are. So, you know, I think by game time, it should be. It might not be a sellout, but it's going to be pretty full. Uh, it, Iowa just won't travel like Penn State did or Ohio State does, you know, um, or Michigan does with all yep. their alum uh, here in town. Um but anyway, all right, uh, let's talk about their, their legitimate chances here. Uh, that Penn State game a couple of years ago, I mean, it was over at the end of the first quarter. There was a major athletic yeah. difference between those two teams. Has, Mer- has Maryland narrowed the gap on the Big Ten elite when it comes to talent? Uh, yeah, I think that they really have. When you look at the way they've recruited the past few years, I wrote this a couple of weeks ago, but I was told that, you know, a lot of NFL scouts came through for the West Virginia game afterwards, told the coaching staff that they're starting to look like an SEC team in terms of the size and athleticism. You know, first several years in the Big Ten, they were really smaller in the trenches than a lot of teams, and that's not the case anymore. They've got some big dudes on both lines. Uh, They've got more speed than they had before. So, you know, last year, Loxley had the number 18 recruiting class in the country, which for Maryland is, you know, about as good as it's gotten, really. So they really have. They really have upgraded the talent. And, you know, that's another reason why a win in a game like tonight could be huge. You know, for recruiting purposes, it would be enormous. So, you know, you and I have had these conversations in the past. They've been able to recruit skill position players. They've put a lot of skill position players into the NFL over the years. But it's been since they joined the Big Ten – a mismatch up front, you know, with a lot of the teams. Like Iowa is a good example Mm -hmm. of, you know, a corn-fed group of biggins up front that have just road-graded Maryland in the past. Um, You think that they're big enough, strong enough, and athletic enough to withstand the likes of, you know, the Iowas and and the Ohio States and the Penn States in the trenches? I think that's the biggest question. You know, the, these first four games have been, you know, West Virginia obviously has a better defense than any of the other three. They held Oklahoma in check pretty well, but, you know, they're going to face much tougher lines. The, the strength of their schedule is number two in the country the rest of the way. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. I think on the defensive line, you, you know, you've got Ami Fanau in the middle. He's massive, probably 330 pounds. Uh, Mo Kite is a big, strong guy. You know, they, they've got they've got the size there to unquestionably I think hang in there. On the offensive line you have the size, but the question is, 
do you have the ability? So far, the offensive line has been really good, much better than I expected, uh, than anyone expected. But, you know, tonight's going to be interesting. I think that's one of the biggest things to focus on is if the offensive line can keep playing as well as it has against a much more stout, those big big boys from Iowa that you talked about. Um, for those that are going to be paying attention tonight for the first time this year, describe what Leah Tungavailoa has become. Leah Tungavailoa, for those who don't know, is Tua's younger brother. He was at Bama. He transferred to Maryland Um, last year. You know, he had a couple of big games early, but was inconsistent. And this year, statistically, he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. How legit uh, do you think he is? Describe him in your words. Uh, I think he's he's definitely legit. Last year, he was prone to a lot of mistakes. He's a lot more experienced this year. He's been, I mean, you couldn't ask for a quarterback to play much better than he has. Pro football focus, their uh, data ranks him as the number one or the best quarterback so far this season. You know, I think what he's gotten really good at is not forcing bad throws. That was his issue last year. His accuracy on the deep ball has been excellent. He's the number one deep ball thrower in the country so far uh, in terms of their formula. And he's also gotten he, – he's exceptional at dancing around and buying time in the pocket. He's, you know, the few times that he's gone down this season, at least half of them, he's just kind of tripped over his own feet. It's hard to get him to chase him down. He's really quick. Not Maybe not – definitely not as big and strong as his brother. Uh, does have a strong arm. You know, he's kind of a, you know, I'm not saying he's as good as Russell Wilson, obviously, but that's the kind of mold I would put him in. You know, he doesn't run downfield all the time, but he's really good at scrambling to buy time, and he's been, you know, he's completing, I think, about 75% of his passes. Yeah, the first time, uh, I guess it was against Minnesota last year when they pummeled, when they won that game against Minnesota, I remember coming in the next day and saying, you know, I don't know much about him, but he plays like Russell Wilson. That's the only thing I can describe him as. And I'm not saying he is Russell Wilson. I'm just saying he plays exactly like him. And then two weeks later, I had him on the radio show, Jeff. And, you know, he's a Mm -hmm. quiet, shy guy. And I said, you know, who have you modeled your game after? And he said, Russell Wilson. (laughs) He said, Russell Wilson's my favorite player. That's who I I modeled my game after. Yeah, it's a – it's like an unavoidable comparison. He's not as thick as Russell Wilson. He's a pretty skinny guy. When yes. you see him up close, he's you know he's about six feet, and they list him at I think two oh five. He doesn't look even that big. So that's the question in terms of the NFL. But in college, I mean, he he has a chance if he were to return next year to be a Heisman contender. Well, I was going to ask you that next. Um, if he has a big night tonight and they win and they you know you know, bust into the top 25 next week, which is what they would do with a win tonight. Um, I've said uh, over the last several days, I think he becomes uh, a name that's prominently mentioned in the Heisman race this year. Not, you know, with the quarterback that wins, you know, in Tuscaloosa tomorrow and plays well is going to be the front runner because those two right now are the front runners. But his name would be in the mix if he plays well tonight and they win. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, he'll be on that peripheral, you know, second tier of guys right now. He's on the, you know, he's in the others receiving votes kind of level uh, if you were to compare it to the AP poll. But I think if they win tonight, yeah, and he performs well, 
you know, he won't be mentioned with Matt Corral, but people will start to talk about him. I don't know how you couldn't at that point with the numbers he's put up. Maryland would be ranked. You know, it's, it would take – he would have to be red hot for the rest of the season to get really in the mix just because of where he started from. You know, the hype machine, it's kind of like the rankings, unfortunately, where you start from affects where you end uh, because it's not, you know, a statistical formula. It's, it's um, you know – I think he will be, long story short, but I think for him to be a legit candidate, I think that that would come next year. But to be honest, you know, I think if he has that kind of year this year, there's probably stronger stronger odds that he's in the NFL next year. I'm just trying, as we're talking about that, I'm I'm just trying to think the last time Maryland actually had a bona fide Heisman contender. And and I don't. Jack Starbath. (laughs) <laughs> Jack Starbath, yeah. Jack Starbath in nineteen like fifty two <laughs> came in second in the Heisman. Uh since then I don't think they've had anybody in the top ten of the voting. I'm just trying to think, you know, even yeah, I, I, I would have guessed that they wouldn't have had anybody that would have finished that high, but I'm talking about like preseason, you know, I was just thinking about all yeah. the quarterbacks they had. Mark Mangus actually in the seventies, I know, was a preseason sort of Heisman um, you know, contender. I don't know that Boomer ever was necessarily, um, or you know, somebody like you know, certainly not receivers or tight ends like Stefan Diggs or, or or Vernon Davis. Um, even though they were great college football players, it, it's yeah. I I can't think. No, it hasn't anybody. happened. Yeah, I don't think it it's, hasn't. Yeah, it hasn't happened. And and, right. and a lot of their best players have been defensive guys yeah, who, as we know, don't Randy get in White. that mix, you know. Yeah, Randy White or Sean Merriman, some yeah. of those kind of guys. So, uh, uh, E.J. Henderson. So. Right. Uh, Steve Atkins, there's a name for you. Go look that up, uh, old Maryland fans from the late 70s. I think Steve Atkins probably entered his senior year getting some conversation as a Heisman contender. Um, that's a long time ago. All right. Uh, you've, yeah. t- you've talked about uh, Tunga Vailoa. Um, again, for those, you know, that are going to be tuning in tonight for the first time, national TV game, there aren't, you know, there's no competition, um, with other games tonight. Uh, who else on Maryland's team offensively and defensively, uh, is, you know, NFL caliber elite level talent. Dante Demas is the first guy who comes to mind. He's their number one receiver. He's six, three. Uh, very athletic and smooth for his size. The only question with him is consistency. He's had a little bit of an issue with drops. You know, once or twice a game, as you know from watching, uh, he has that kind of yep. head shaking drop. Otherwise, he's to me a top three round pick, probably. Um, Rakim Jarrett, not eligible this year for the draft. He's in his second year, former five star recruit. He's, you know, if you look at the advanced stats, tell you that he's actually been better than Demas this year. So, uh, he's he's a potential future first rounder. Defensively, uh, Mosiah Kite, their their tackle is really good, really stout guy, former junior college recruit. I think he'll play. And the thing is, like this roster has more NFL players than Maryland's had. And you, you go up and down the roster, and there are a ton of guys who have the potential, including the young guys who aren't playing yet, but. Uh, Nick Cross, safety, I think he's a top four-round pick. I know Pro Football Focus ranked him in the top 100 prospects. You know, he's a stout 
safety. He's not a small guy by any stretch, but he's the fastest guy on the team. He's a track star, really hits hard. So um, they've got several cornerbacks also. I mean, this team has a lot of potential NFL prospects, a couple guys on the offensive line. Jalen Duncan, junior left tackle, I think most likely probably declares after this season. So, you know, they've hit a lull the past few years in terms of NFL players just because of that rebuilding process. And because so many guys left the program when Loxley was kind of turning things over. And so I think that's about to, to turn around now in these next few years in terms of NFL production. There have been a couple of guys that have really stood out defensively that I was not aware of before the season started. I think that corner still, number 12, um, really, really can play. And the linebacker, number 30, is it Chami? Um, really, uh, mm-hmm. you know, has has uh, shown um, some incredible ability so far. All right, let's get your thoughts on the game tonight. Um, wh- what sort of chance do you give them? And if they pull it off, how do they do it? I mean, this is the most fence-sitting answer ever, but I feel like they've got a 50-50 chance. That's what most <laughs> of the numbers say. I was really good defensively. They're not that explosive offensively. So if Maryland can even come close to keeping pace, with what they've done offensively, they should have a good chance. And Maryland's defense, to me, you could argue, I've been saying since before this season, I feel like their defense is is better than the offense, and they've given up 14.3 points per game so far. Again, with the caveat that that has been against lesser opposition than they'll see tonight. But, you know, Iowa's not an explosive offensive team. Uh, Maryland needs to hold its own in the trenches, like we said earlier. It'll be interesting to see how Talia does against a much better defense. They've got the number one uh, scoring defense in the Big Ten, so they're really tough defensively. But, you know, I I feel like it feels like one of those games where in terms of the actual matchup, it's 50-50. And then when you think about all the the years built up to this point and all the – everything Maryland's got on the line, it kind of feels like, you know, it's it's a potential, you know, program transitional, transformational win – uh, and those games, a lot of times, teams just find a way to win because they just want it so bad and they've done so much to lead up to that point. So I feel like, you know, I think that they're going to win the game. I think it's going to be close. You know, I feel like it could be a 27-21 kind of game. Clearly no one will be surprised if Iowa wins, but I don't see Maryland doing what it's done the past few times on this kind of stage and getting blown out. Yeah, it, I think it's one of those games we're going to know really early because um, we're going to see if there is a major difference um, at the line of scrimmage. I think that's what's been noticeable uh, since they entered the Big Ten in some of these matchups where we were hopeful. Um, it was noticeable very much in the beginning of the game, uh-oh, you know, they can't block them um, and they're not going to be able to move the football. I think that offense versus that defense matchup, we're going to know early. You know, if they're getting people yeah. wide open and Leah's got time and they've got Iowa scrambling a little bit, something that Iowa State, who was a really good offensive, you know, thought to be a really good offensive team, an experienced team coming back, they really struggled uh, against Iowa's defense. I mean, Iowa barely, I don't know what the yard was against Iowa State, but it was a turnover fest um, that allowed a, a Iowa yeah. to sort of win big 
um, uh, against Iowa State in that heavyweight matchup earlier in the year. And that's really why they're ranked fifth in the country right now, because Iowa State was a top 10 team when they beat them. But Iowa State really sort of struggled to move the football. I think it's one of those games we're going to know early. Like if Maryland comes out and they're slinging it around like they've been doing and people are wide open and you got Demas and Jarrett and the tight end who looks like an NFL tight end to me um, and Jones and and all of a sudden that's gaping holes for Fleet Davis after they start throwing the football. Uh, there, I think they got a really good chance, maybe to win, um, you know, and maybe to win comfortably. Um, but I think it's one of those games where, where we're going to know early. Uh, that's the one thing I think in all of these matchups. That Penn State game, Jeff, we knew after one possession that we could not stop them, and we were going to struggle to move the football. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's funny you say that. That's been the conversation with several other people I've spoken to. Is that. You know, we might know early on, and Maryland needs a, needs a quick start just for confidence, just to say, "Oh no, not this!" You know, so they're not saying, "Oh no, not this again." If Iowa goes up ten nothing early, and you start to doubt yourself and whether you belong there and that sort of things, and what's happened in the past, although most of these, a lot of these players weren't there for those past games, but yeah, I think the first quarter should, you know, could definitely tell the tale. And hopefully the big difference more than any other this go-around is that Maryland has a legit quarterback, um, and that makes a big difference. Iowa State had you know a, a, an inexperienced quarterback coming back as well, though. Um, all right, before I let you go, uh, you know that as excited as, as I am and you are for the game tonight, um, we also get much more excited about hoop season, as, as Maryland uh, fans tend to be. So tell me... You know, I, I've you've followed a lot of this stuff, including the signing that they made in August. You know, it's gonna they've got a lot of new players on this team. Aaron not coming back means you know we went from t- potential top five ish to you know maybe just top twenty ish. What do you think of of hoops right now? I think that people are sleeping on this team a little bit. I feel like it's it's probably Turgeon's deepest team that he's had at Maryland. You know, whether it's his best, I don't know, because you don't have that mellow or Jalen Smith kind of guy or Anthony Cowan, but uh, I think the starting lineup is really solid, and I think, you know, I I watched them play uh, about a month ago. I watched them for a few hours, and Ayala looks like he's taking his game to the next level. Dante Scott's really improved, and the depth is just so much better. You've got some legit, you know, last year you, you had no big guys, first of all. Now you've got Caduce Wahab, legit 6'10", you know, was becoming a star at Georgetown. you got some transfers coming off the bench who I think are better than people realize. Ian Martinez is going to be really good. Uh, the Pablo Zuba kid from Arizona State is, a, you know, is an athletic specimen. Uh, he so, was their late he so was their like late they, he was their late get, right? Or was it Green? Yeah. Who, who did they get in, in Green August? was also they were both they were both somewhat late. Um Zuba is, is was actually a you know top one hundred kind of recruit and then was the youngest player in the country and as a freshman at Arizona State so just kinda of got buried there. Uh really big kid for for six eight, six nine, just really looks like a grown man, very athletic too. Uh, and then, and then Green, Xavier Green, I think is maybe the most overlooked guy. He's not going to be a star by any stretch, but I watched him, and you know that's the old Dominion transfer. He's 25 years old. Uh, you don't keep playing at this point at 25 years old unless you're going to work hard. Obviously, he's more athletic than I realized. So 
you know, I think people are people who don't follow the recruiting really closely when they see him, they're going to be like, where, where did this guy come from? You know, not that he's going to be leading the team in scoring, but he's going to he's going to be playing a legit role. So the starting five, let me let me see if I have this right. It should be Fats Russell, the transfer um, uh, from Rhode Island, as in the backcourt mm-hmm. with Ayala. Um, then obviously you've got Dante Scott and you've got uh, and you've got Wahab who's going to start at center. And I'm going to guess that Hakeem Hart is going to be the 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 fifth starter. That would be my guess. Turgeon did an interview earlier this week where he said basically what you just said. He knows who the four starters are at those spots, but he doesn't know who's going to claim that spot. But to me, Hakeem Hart, with as much as he's played, as much as he's improved, is the clear clear favorite there, but you do got to have some guys to compete with them, like Xavier Green and James Graham, and you know they've got some freshmen who will command some minutes. You know, better freshman class this year, if, especially if you include Graham, uh, than they've had in recent years. So that that spot is a question mark. But yeah, I can't see it. It, it would be surprising if it's not Hakeem Hart. I've heard a lot of good things about Martinez, um, the transfer from Utah, uh, about his overall athleticism and shooting ability and how a lot of people have been sleeping on him as a big-time transfer and a big-time get. Um, Just out of curiosity of the three – I say three freshmen, Graham obviously enrolled um, midway through last season. But between Graham uh, and Reese and Cornish, which of those three, if any, are going to be in the rotation as freshmen this year? I think Reese will get the most minutes of those guys just because there's not a lot of – you know, outside of Wahab, you don't have a lot of big guys. So he'll play some minutes at the center. He'll probably play some at the four. Um, Cornish is a nice prospect. I think with the makeup of their roster with Ayala and with Green and and these other guys, Martinez, that he might be a year away from playing more. Graham's kind of a wild card. He's a really dynamic offensive player, just needs to kind of refine his game. I think he'll get his share of opportunities. The only thing there is that his positionally, he's a little bit similar to Dante Scott. So, you know, that's the question there. But among those three, I would say Reese is, Reese should play the most minutes. You see Maryland as a top three, top four Big Ten team? I think so. You know, that that preview I mentioned, uh, I think it was Athlon had them fifth the other day. I think that's a little low, but it's understandable. You know, they don't have that marquee Aaron Wiggins. I think everybody was focused on Aaron Wiggins, and now that he's gone, that kind of dropped them in the eyes of a lot of people. But I think Eric Ayala is going to surprise a lot of people. He was the leading scorer last year, even with Wiggins around. He'll, I think he'll step his game up to that 18, 19 point per game level this year. And they should be a top three, top four team. I think that where you said is right around where they should be. Yeah, I agree with that. And I agree with you on Ayala. Um, thanks. Really appreciate it. Uh, as always, enjoy the, enjoy the game tonight. You too, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Good to catch up with Jeff Ehrman. Uh, Always enjoy that and glad to get in some basketball conversation there at the end. All right, let's finish up the show, and I'm going to finish up the show with a Maryland-Iowa prediction. I like the Terps tonight to win outright 30-26. to I think they have the athletes, especially offensively, um, and they've got the quarterback. Uh, You know, Iowa is not Ohio State or Penn State. Uh, I think they're very well coached. I'm a big fan of Kirk Ferenz as a coach. He's been there for 22 years. Uh, And uh, I just like Maryland in this spot tonight. They will have one of the more 
um, you know, uh, supportive home crowd environments that they've had in years. You know, we see it with basketball all the time. It's rare to get it in football. Uh, certainly happened during the Bobby Ross years and the Ralph Region years, but it's been a long time. Uh, a Friday night is a perfect spot. They'll be tailgating for much of the day out in College Park. And I like their chances. You know, this is not, you know, a an Ohio State game. Like next week, I'll feel completely differently, more likely than not, against Ohio State and Columbus. Like that's just not, you know, uh, an athlete for athlete, you know, even matchup. But I think tonight you're going to be surprised if you haven't watched Maryland how explosive their athletes are offensively and how good their quarterback is. I like the Terps 30 to 26 tonight to beat Iowa and then to bust into the top 25 at like number 21 overall. And then next week at Columbus as a 5-0 and ranked team. Uh, all right, that's it for the day. Enjoy the football weekend. Back with a recap, obviously, of Washington-Atlanta on Monday. Uh, and we'll talk about this Terps game tonight on Monday as well. Have a great weekend.